Amen. Well, good morning. It is good to see you all. Good to be with you all this morning. I uh, do want to ask, as you heard in that time of prayer, that you would please remember and continue to pray for the Abernathy family, especially for Don, for Charlotte, uh, for all that they're experiencing and going through right now. Um, I would encourage you to uh, go see Charlotte, um, but you need to be forewarned. Uh, if you go to see Don, um, Don is in and out of coherent thought at this point. And so you may go and expect the, the gentle giant of a man that we know that is Don Abernathy. And you might get that for a moment, uh, but you need to understand that most moments he is not uh, that man right now. And so pray for them as they continue to work on a diagnosis, as the family thinks about his future care. Um, and pray for Miss Charlotte um, as uh, she is with her husband during the day. And then in the evening, she is home alone. And so if you could just uh, pray for them, call them, reach out to them, uh, that would be fantastic. I do want to let you know with that, do not, if you call their home phone and their answer machine picks up, do not leave a message at this point uh, because we can't figure out what's going on with her voicemail. Okay, so if you don't get her, give it about 30 or 45 minutes and then call her back. Uh, that would be great. Or try her later in the day as well. Just know she's back and forth between home and the hospital at this point. And yes, her family is with her. Uh, today. So just please continue to remember them in prayer. Well, we, uh, with that, we are getting started with a new series today. We're going to be walking through the book of Malachi together, um, a series where I hope and pray that coming off of seeing God's daily provision and daily bread through Ruth and, and hearing about the covenant faithfulness of God, that we can now move into the prophecies of Malachi and really see God's covenant grace um, at work in the life of his people. And so as we study this uh, book together, my hope is to, to be able to look into the word from the Lord and to see how God is and God always remains faithful, even when his people uh, feel hopeless or in the midst of that hopelessness, the people of God turn to faithlessness. You see, here's the truth that I want us to understand from Malachi today, and that is this. God does not waver from the promises that he has made to his people. You see, because of the faithfulness of God, we as believers in Christ now see and experience the promised grace of God on a regular basis. And yet, sadly, what happens to us today is we, we will have days where we will miss his grace, not because he didn't offer his grace to us and his mercy to us in that day, but rather because in the midst of our grief, in the midst of our frustration, in the midst of, of just the grind of daily life, we are the ones who did not see it. So again, this morning, let's open our series on covenant grace by answering the question that God gives to his people first when he asks them, does God really love us? You see, I think if we were honest with ourselves this morning, we would probably recognize that many of us have often asked ourselves that very same question. Because the truth of life is this, life is hard and no one ever said it would be easy. In fact, if someone has told you at some point in your life that life would be easy, you should probably call them tomorrow because they owe you either lunch, dinner, or coffee. Because that statement is not true. You see, when you think about your own life, think about your marriage. Marriage, at times, is hard. When you think about your own life, 
Maybe you're not married and you're, you're single in the room or you're widowed in the room. Well, guess what? Single life can be hard. As a parent in the room, and I imagine many of our parents can affirm this at this point, having children is hard. Not to leave anybody out. For the pregnant couples in the room. Men, do not answer. Pregnancy can be hard. When we think about our own lives, our work and our careers, the truth is work itself is hard. When we think about the people that we come in contact with each and every day, maintaining relationships and friendships with people is hard. When we think about church and coming together uh, for for the purpose of gathering with the corporate body for worship, sometimes coming to church itself is hard. You see, whether we're waking up from what's been a long and exhausting week or, or realizing we may have to wake up and walk into a place where, where we, have, we may have to see or encounter someone that we don't want to see, coming to worship can be hard. I imagine that there have been many of us who've walked into church saying, God, I don't want to be here today. I don't want to go through this today because the reality is I don't want anyone checking in on me to see how I'm doing because my life is hard. And I've come to a point where I just don't believe anyone cares. Some of us may come to church and say, God, I just don't want to be here today because I don't want people to know what's really going on in my life. I don't want people to know that I'm, I'm questioning you in this moment, saying, God, are you really there? Do you really love me? You see, the grind of life is filled with brokenness, and each day brings on a new set of challenges. We deal with broken health. We deal with broken relationships. We deal with broken spirits, and all of this can make us believe that life has become overwhelming for us to the point where we no longer want to try anymore. I imagine that many of us have come to a point in life where face down on the floor, we think that we have no way out of the mess that we are in. And ultimately, hard times can lead us to be hardened against God and thus hardened against one another. So we ourselves are now left with the question, does God really love me? We ask this question when we begin to doubt. We look around and and we see God blessing others, but for whatever reason, God's not helping us. And so in this moment, we feel abandoned. Well, as we're going to see in our text this morning in Malachi chapter 1, this is the primary question that God now addresses to his people in our opening passage. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would encourage you to join me in Malachi chapter 1. We're going to begin reading in verse 1. And once you have found your place in the Word, if you can and you are able, I would invite you now to stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Now this is Malachi chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. We read, The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? 
Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says, we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins. The Lord of hosts says, they may build, but I will tear down. And they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this and you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Now, although this is the last prophetic book of the Old Testament, it is believed that Malachi was probably written sometime around the time of Nehemiah and Ezra. Now, there is some debate over the authorship, whether or not this was written by someone named Malachi or whether it was written uh, by another prophet who was just giving us a word from the Lord. Either way, it doesn't matter much as what we're going to see is this writing really depicts God's direct word to God's People. Now, one thing we do know is that Malachi was written to a people who no longer felt as if they were God's people. It was a people who felt like, as the people of the promise, they were no longer seeing the blessing or the benefit of the promise. Now, sure, they had been delivered from bondage, but now they felt neglected and ignored by God. And so the result of, of that feeling of neglect, the, the result of that feeling of being ignored had now led the people to question their own faith. And in questioning their own faith, it had now led them to a path of faithlessness that leads to more disobedient. Thus, God's people was now asked to, uh, left to ask the question, the same question that we have often asked ourselves, is, which is this, does God really love us? And so the opening verses of our book reveals not only the plans that God has for his people, but a plan to point his people back to his covenant grace. So just look with me in verse 1 as we read the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. Now this word oracle is actually a very interesting word as it translates to a burden. In other words, this is not just some word from God. This is actually a, a meaningful word of God, a, a, a burdened-filled word of God. But this doesn't necessarily mean bad news. However, for the people of God, it should have been enough to elevate the heart rate for a little bit. It should have been enough of a word to, to maybe cause them to stop and to think and to, to maybe sweat a little bit and wonder what it was that God was about to say next. I mean, the best way to think about the word oracle or the burden here is to think about it like being in school again and getting called on the intercom to the principal's office. Normally, that wasn't a good thing. Or better yet, if you're in the, the workforce, think of it as, as a boss who comes to you in the midst of a, of, gr of a group conversation that you're having at work. And your boss says to you, I need to see you in my office. We need to talk. This is important. Now again, you have no idea what's about to be said next, but generally speaking, you know that when the, the boss says these things to you, chances are it may not be good. So you begin to think about all the places where you might have messed up. 
You start thinking about all the, the emails where you might have miscommunicated or, or the minor mistakes that you might have made that you thought, ah, oh, these weren't no big deal, but maybe all of a sudden they've added up to become a big deal. Or you begin to think of what may or may not be said by you or by the boss, or you begin to play out scenarios in your mind. Well, if the boss says this, I'm going to say that, and he's going to say this, and then I'm going to get a promotion, even though that's not the reality. Either way, we know that what's about to happen is causing stress in the life of the believers as they're about to hear this word from the Lord. Now again, notice the next phrase, which is the word of the Lord, a standard way of being told that this is a word from God being spoken through the prophets, or better yet, a reference to the Bible itself. Either way, what we're being told in this next phrase is that from the outset, this book will mainly be a direct speech between God and God's people. We then see the phrase, to Israel, by Malachi. Now we know who the subject of our book is. Another way to translate this passage would be to say, to Israel, by the hand of Malachi. In other words, Malachi is just delivering news from God to God's people. Now, we have little to no background on the author himself. However, this statement is really now meant to shift our focus away from who the messenger is and put the emphasis and the focus on the message itself that is spoken by God to Israel. So let's just take stock of what we have in our introduction, okay? We have a ragtag group of believers, people who were God's people, people who were a people of the promise. They were heirs to the promise, and yet they had found themselves with very little left to believe in. They were broken. They were defeated. They were questioning everything, and they were trying to determine whether or not God was with them or determining whether or not God even loved them at this point. And now all of a sudden, God shows up with an urgent word, which may or may not be harsh, which may or may not be a word of judgment due to their lack of faith. So they must, at this point, had to be bracing themselves for more bad news. I mean, think about it for a second in our own lives. When we get bad news in our life, what's generally the next thing to come for us? More bad news. It just starts snowballing on us, doesn't it? It's like when one thing breaks in our house, three other things break in our house, right? That's just the way life operates. And so the people began bracing themselves for this word of God that probably meant more judgment or more bad news. And then we get to verse two and listen to what God says. He says, I have loved you, says the Lord. Now just imagine for a moment, you're the people of God bracing for bad news. And all of a sudden from God, you hear, I have loved you. I imagine in this moment, they had to be thinking, what did God just say to us? Notice how God doesn't open with a word of condemnation. He doesn't open with a word of judgment. Rather, he opens with a word of affirmation, a word of a commitment. You see, a people in sin with a checkered past who are now doubting God in the midst of their messy present are now being told that God still loves them. Brothers and sisters in Christ, there is a valuable truth that we can learn from this very word of God. There are going to be people who, for whatever reason, are going to come to us seeking 
help. They're going to be seeking uh, just someone to listen to. They're going to be seeking someone just to hear them vent and process information. They're going to be coming to us for help. And the reality is when those moments come, and they will come for all of us, we can be very quick to point out all of their issues. And we are the ones who can be very quick to, to call out all of their problems that they have created. In other words, here's how we operate today. People come to us with their problems and we say to them, well, it's your own fault. You caused this. Listen, there are Christians who live in our area, and I'm going to be specific. I told you I would do this. In Brandon, who have looked at other Christians and said, your kids are struggling because of your sin. Your kids and your family have been given this diagnosis because of some sin in your past. Now notice that's not what God says to the defeated people. Notice that's not what God says to the hopeless people, to the, to the faithless people. Rather, what he says to them is this. He says, I have loved you. Again, we can... Learn from God in this moment. When people are coming to you and their heartache is, is being poured out before you and they're grieving before you or they're venting their, their frustration before you, we need to open our conversation with them by helping them grasp the simple truth that God still loves them. You see, when we point people back to the love that God has for them, here's what ultimately will happen. We will see people begin to repent of their sin. We will see people who then begin to hate that sin rather than hating the consequences of their sin. Notice as believers, like our text notes, we need to constantly point ourselves and our brothers and sisters around us back to the foundational truth that God loves us. Now, coming back to the text, we're going to see that God is not just referencing a basic love for his people that leads to an emotional high or, or a basic love that, that equates to a simple feeling of goosebumps at a conference, but rather the love that he's speaking of is a covenantal love that he has now made with his people for his people. In fact, the people go on to ask God after this in the text. It says, but you say, how have you loved us? I mean, what a shocking response coming from the people of God. They had experienced God's faithfulness firsthand. They had been delivered by God. They knew the stories of God's promise of delivery out of sin and out of bondage. And yet in this moment, they were looking to God and saying, God, how have you loved us? Clearly the relationship between God and his people were now in deep trouble as the people began doubting and disputing God to the point where they were saying to God, in essence, God, you say you love us, then show us. I want you to think about that statement for a second because the only thing I can really equate that to is my own wife. If I tell my wife that I love her, I expect to hear back, I love you too. However, if I say to my wife, I love you, and then I hear back from her, oh yeah, prove it. Or, Allison, I love you, oh yeah, show me. Then clearly, at some point in the relationship, I, as a human, have messed up somewhere within our relationship. And now all of a sudden, my wife is beginning to doubt and question our, my love for her, and she wants proof of that love. Now, as a footnote, do not miss, 
mishear me or do not hear me mischaracterize who God is. God does not owe proof to his people. So let's go ahead and, and avoid the thinking that leads us to believe that God owes you something. God doesn't owe us anything. So coming back to the text, in questioning God, we see that the people now feel powerless. The people have found themselves in deep bondage and, and they're feeling defeated in a war that seems to never end for them. They were dealing and had dealt with exile from their homeland. And even when they were allowed to return to their homeland, as we see at the beginning of Nehemiah, they would come back to a place that was in complete ruin. So in the midst of this never-ending hardship, in the midst of the, the long days under foreign rule and failed expectations, how else should they be expected to respond? I mean, it's easy to look upon the people of God at this point in Malachi and say, man, why are you doubting God, you shameful people? I mean, let's be honest for a second. That's really easy for us to say, especially in the time that we're living in. I mean, think about this for a second. Think about the time we are now living in. We've not dealt with bondage or slavery. We've not, we've not dealt with being enslaved because of our faith. We've not dealt with, with being at war because of our faith and God being kicked out of our homes only to then be returned to our homes that are, that are just an utter ruin. I mean, if we, could be, if we could just be honest for a second, man, our homes have never been destroyed. What we're currently worried about right now is gas prices, the price of eggs, and weather balloons. That's really our greatest worry at this point. But I mean, let's just stop and think about this for a moment, because I believe if we were honest with ourselves, I'd imagine that many of us have found ourselves in this very same moment. I imagine that many of us have found ourselves, for whatever reason, grieving, hurting, for whatever reason, face down on the floor in tears and in anger, questioning where was God's love in the midst of what it is that we are now going through. But I want us to notice God's response. Because God will respond to them. He says that he loves them. And then he calls the people to look back into their history to now see his love at work for his people. A love that points us to God's covenant grace. Second half of verse two into verse four. God says, is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord. Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to, to jackals of the desert. If Edom says we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says they may build, but I will tear down and they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Now here we get a brief look at the story of Jacob and Esau, which is found back in Genesis chapter 25. A story of two brothers. A story that if you read carefully, you'll quickly realize it wasn't simply just a story of two brothers, but rather a story of two brothers and neither of them were innocent. And yet our story ends with one brother stealing the blessing of the other. So if you look back at Malachi chapter 1 and verse 2 and 3, it says, Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. Many people read this and we begin to take this passage out of context because we don't understand what God uh, that, that God is not referencing just emotions here. 
Rather, what God is, is revealing here is a covenantal love that leads to a, to a uh, devoted commitment versus a covenant hatred that leads to an absence of any commitment. Now, many people would say at this point, now, wait a minute. This is still too harsh of God. This is, this is not the God I grew up learning about. This is not the, the God that I know. Shouldn't God love everyone equally? Man, I got to tell you, I, I hear this a lot. But I find it amazing that we would put an obligation on God that we do not even place on ourselves as humans. I mean, think about this for a second. As husbands, we love our wives. As husbands, we love our children. However, it does not mean that we love all wives equally. It doesn't mean that, that just because I love my own kids, I love everybody's kids equally. Some of you are looking around going, yes and amen, this is true. I mean, we love our tribe. We love our, our people. Sure, we love one another, but we, we probably don't love them the way we love our own family that lives within our home. You see, in the same way, God binds himself to his people, which is not equal to everybody. Now, here's the second item I find amazing about this story when people say this about God. They say things like, well, well isn't, isn't God supposed to be fair? It's not fair what he's doing. Well, let me, let me ask this question. When you look at the story of Jacob and Esau, neither Jacob nor Esau were men of outstanding character. Neither of them came to God with overwhelming faithfulness to God. So it's amazing to me to think that God should really choose to love either of the brothers. I mean, if, if fairness was the issue here, then neither Jacob nor Esau deserved the favor of God. If God was being fair, both would have been punished. You see, both these men were desperate sinners in need of repentance. And the reality is this, God did not sit back and wait for their lives to unfold and then pick the better, less sinful brother. No, God declared from the womb that Esau would serve Jacob. Now, Paul picks up on this point in Romans chapter 9, verse 11, when he says, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. Again, people have looked at this text and said, but pastor, this is still not fair. And again, I'm going to tell you, you know what? At this point, I agree with you based on Romans 9. <laughs> However, fair is something different for God when it comes to dealing with his people. I mean, again, think about this for a moment. We get hung up on this concept way too much. Neither, neither Jacob nor Esau were deserving the favor of God. And again, if we're talking about fairness, fairness, God would have condemned both for their sins. However, the theme of election is something that runs through the entire story of the Bible. And this is what election shows us. It shows us God's goodness and grace, which repeatedly overrules fairness. So you see, God uses the story of Jacob and Esau in this moment because the people of God in Malachi can see how their present circumstances mirrored that of Jacob. They were the people of God, and yet they were the ones 
who were divided. They were the ones who had been conquered. They were the ones who had been exiled. While the people of Esau, the people of Edom, remained secure in the mountain fortresses, aligning themselves with Babylon and cheering on the destruction of Jerusalem. And then God tells them, while Israel begins to rebuild slowly, watch as Edom comes undone. God says in Malachi that he left his heritage to jackals of the desert. Now again, this is either a reference to Edom's impending desolation or an allusion to the conquering nomads who were coming for Edom. And then God's going to take this one step further in verse 4, and he says this, if Edom says, okay? Now I love it when God plays the if game. Like that's almost unfair, right? Like, we all understand that, okay? We play the if game in our mind, like, well, if my wife says this, then I'm going to say that, and then she's going to say this, and I'm going to say that, and then, boom, she's done. What else can she say? By the way, that has never worked in my house, okay? But I'm going to go ahead and tell you this. It's almost unfair that God can play this game, okay? Because it's not really if. Like, he knows this is what's going to happen, right? Like, we all understand that, right? Okay, I just want to make sure. If Edom, verse 4, if Edom says... We are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins. The Lord of hosts says, they may build, but I will tear down. And they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Now, the key word in this this passage is the word rebuild, which means to return and to build. Now, again, that word rebuild was a, a word of hope for the people of Israel. Because it was God in in covenant grace who would lead Israel back to the promised land and back to restoration. However, for Edom, their ability to rebuild would be stopped by God and his armies because the Lord is committed to his people. I mean, Christians, we have to ask ourselves at this point, how does this story answer our question about God's love for us? Well, here's the answer. When life gets hard, it is very tempting to question and then to doubt God's love for us. It is easy for us to say when things are good that God loves us, but when all of a sudden life gets hard, it's easy for us to say that God no longer loves us. And the reality is this. In the first four verses, we see that this statement could not be further from the truth. You see, like the story of Jacob and Esau, we are the ones who have sinned against God. None of us deserve the love of God. We all deserve the judgment of God for our sin against Him. However, God, from the beginning, loves His people. God, from the beginning, chose his people. God from the beginning has forgiven his people. God from the beginning desires to restore his people. And it's God from the beginning who has kept his promise towards his people. It's as one scholar notes upon the first five passages of the book of Malachi. He says this, Malachi is teaching us to interpret God's providence in the light of his love, rather than reading his love off our interpretation of his providence. You see, the truth of the gospel reminds us of the grace of God. 
The truth of the gospel reminds us of the goodness of God. It reminds us that we are restored by God through Christ, and thus we have received a reward that is not based on fairness at all. In fact, this, the, the truth of the gospel is, is God looking upon us and saying, from the beginning, no matter what, I choose you. Man, if we continue to pursue God's love as a means to an end, then I want to tell you something. We are going to be sorely and forever disappointed. Rather, we need to see that God's love or that God loves his people so that we might receive our ultimate happiness and joy in receiving and returning his love. Now, again, I recognize that some of us may be in this room so discouraged at this moment that we may say, big deal. I don't, I don't, I don't even, I can't even, I can't even compare to Jacob at this moment. I feel more like Esau in this moment based on all that's happened to me. How can you look at me and say, God would, would ever love me? I think I'm on the other side of that wall. If that's you, then read verse five. Verse 5 says this, Your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. You see, God reveals, like He does again throughout the Bible, that His purpose will extend far beyond anything we could ever ask or imagine. Hello, Ruth, we just talked about this. Not just the story of Ruth, right? If you don't know what I'm referencing, just read the last chapter of Ruth. You'll get caught up real quick. Better yet, go over and read Amos chapter 9 and see that, that even in Amos chapter 9 and prophesying through Amos, God tells us that he even has a plan to redeem some that are in the remnant of Edom. I mean, just think about this for a moment. God is free to call individuals from all nations of the world to be a part of his people. And who's in control of that? God. Not us. It's solely up to God. So Christian, in the midst of your heartache, in the midst of your frustration, in the midst of feeling like you've been piled upon, realize this. The same God who, is, who has called you to himself is the same God who called you from the beginning, and he is the same God who is not done with you. You see, God could have left us to die in our own sin, but he didn't do that. Thanks be to God for His grace. You see, the God who called us to Himself will, in grace, finish what it is that He has started. And so the truth and the assurance that we need to hold on to today is this. If God can reach the nations, if God can, can even reach the ones who started out against Him, if God can, can reach the ones who opposed him, the ones who, who, who doubted him, then, then imagine what God can do with you. And imagine what he can do with me. So to answer the question, man, does God really love us? The answer is a wholehearted yes with 100% confidence. You may feel like an outsider to God and his people in this moment. And if that's you today, I want to remind you of this truth. God's electing love will always overrule who we are and what we have done. In other words, our past does not define us. Your present circumstances, my present circumstances, do not define us. Rather, our future is secure because of how God has defined us in His covenant grace through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. 
You see, through Jesus, God is constantly calling people to himself. And as a believer in this room today, I want you to recognize that God has called you. So brothers and sisters, please do not forget the grace and the mercy that's been shown to you. As it was God through Christ who called you to himself. It is God who has revealed himself to us. It is is God who revealed himself to be faithful. It is God who revealed himself from the beginning. It is God who revealed himself to be loving through his covenant grace, a reminder of the promised grace to come for the people of God in Malachi, a reminder that we now live in because of Christ, a reminder that we now hold on to because of the hope of what is to come. Simplify that statement in three words. It would be this. God loves you. I'm going to say it again. Some of you need to hear it again. God loves you. Thanks be to God that he loved us first. Let's pray together.